0: So nice to to see everyone this morning, and we are continuing this morning with, oh yeah, let me find my talk here.
1: Uh, Let's see, I'm going to close that.
0: Just a second. It's under here. There we go. So, uh, we're going to continue with our theme for the month on the subject of dukkha, or suffering, and uh, today we're going to talk about ways to work with dukkha. Dukkha, along with anicca, impermanence, and anatta, not-self, is one of the three characteristics that pervade human existence. It's an inconvenient truth that this is so. And that is why the Buddha made a point of the fact. All formations are transient, all formations are subject to suffering, and all things are without a self. We humans are one of the forms that is subject to these characteristics. The Buddha said one should understand according to reality and true wisdom, this does not belong to me. This I am not. This is not myself. To see things as they really are means seeing things consistently in terms of these three characteristics. We cannot ever really escape these truths about the condition forms that fill our world, but ignoring or distorting them leads to repeated frustration, disappointment, and even despair. And yet, we find a lot of reasons to look the other way or to think about it another day. I keep remembering the end of um, the book, um, uh, Gone with the Wind, and the character Scarlett said, all these things, catastrophes, but I think her last words were, I'll think of it another day. Well, this story from Stephen Levine, who's a Buddhist practitioner, a lot of you may know, the author of many books on death and dharma expresses the tendency of a lot of us and makes me smile with understanding. He told of giving a talk and looking out in an audience of several hundred people, asking them the question, who of you is going to die? He said it took a long time for the hands to go up. I don't know about you, but when Things are going along smoothly for me, and the worldly winds are blowing pleasant things my way. I have definitely settled myself into the good feelings of the moment and thought, this is mine. It's solid. I can keep it, and it will last. I don't want to think about or feel anything else at those times. Likewise, when the worldly winds blow in the opposite direction— with a loss, or some other emotional or physical pain, I can turn away and do something to distract myself from the reality of it, or I can distort the pain, making it worse with my imagination. The thing that is dukkha is, the thing is that dukkha is the first noble truth. It's the starting point of our spiritual path, And it's the gateway to the deathless, to awakening. Ajahn Chah, one of the major teachers of the Thai forest tradition, was asked how he became so wise. And he said that it was due to the intensity of his afflictive emotions that he had become wise. Well, the five afflictive emotions are anger, pride, jealousy, attachment, and ignorance. And so he's saying he had intense pride, jealousy, attachment, and ignorance, and it was through working with these that he became wise. So it is important that we develop a wholesome relationship with and deep understanding of our afflictions from individual investigation, even when it seems hard or counterintuitive. And that's what we'll focus on today. How do we work with dukkha? where to begin I wasn't able to attend the Sunday sit last week because I was attending a weekend retreat but I was able to listen to the recording and I agree with Lindell that there is a lot of writing and talking about dukkha in Buddhism so it was challenging to narrow down the focus um, yeah I I went down a lot of rabbit holes I, I went into some very esoteric um articles that one of them had to do with um, pointillism in art and how it reveals uh, relates to the uh, story about Bahia and um, bear attention and how that relates to um, letting go of the self and anyway. But I remembered a, a suggestion by some teacher that you really shouldn't do a talk about something that you're just starting to investigate. So I did discard that. But what I came down to was um, that I uh, think it is really important um, to work with recognizing the three kinds of dukkha that Lindell spoke about last week. They're the dukkha that the Buddha identified uh, as dukkha dukkha, one kind of dukkha, the suffering of suffering, which is very obvious and easy to identify. Aging, illness, death, physical and emotional suffering, sorrow, grief and despair. These we all human beings experience these and we know this is suffering And then there's the dukkha that's related to impermanence. I think it's pronounced Viparinama dukkha. Um, All that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. That certainly causes a lot of dukkha for us. And the third one, Sankara dukkha, the more subtle dukkha, the deep-down dukkha, which has a felt sense of insecurity and seems to be connected with the ego and a cause for our need to cling. Lindell described it as the dukkha of having no <clears throat> solid ground, no place to come to rest, which is kind of a background state of existence, which we can ignore, but that affects us. So we're going to work on, uh, we're going to talk about today how we work with these kinds of dukkha, these three kinds of dukkha. And there were there are a lot of ways to work with dukkha, and it, a lot of ways are spoken of. But it seemed to me that sticking to the Four Noble Truths and the four foundations of mindfulness, really, we can't go wrong. And so it's more a big picture. It's not that there aren't a lot of specific techniques that I'm sure a lot of you have found, and you're going to have an opportunity to discuss them. Um, Today, when I listened to the recording um, from last week, I heard people really getting into sharing uh, their experience of dukkha with each other. And that, in fact, is one of the ways to work with dukkha, is to feel, you know, you're not alone. So to feel kind of the support of that connection with others and to hear that you're sharing, oh, yeah, I've suffered that way too. And this is what I did. So I do want to give you a lot of opportunity to share today. But I'll start with the Four noble Truths, which tells us uh, to first acknowledge dukkha. Um, we actually say, this is Dukkha, and we respect Dukkha. It is a noble truth. In this first step, we understand that we're going against the stream when we don't turn away from Dukkha or try to fix it. The Buddha asks us to see the suffering as a truth, a fact of life, not a mistake or a catastrophe. The Buddha says many times in the suttas, in his own experience, I see you, Mara, and Mara represents the darker elements of our nature that cause a lot of our suffering. Saying I see you, Mara, when we start to identify with these traits, instead of observing and allowing them, can help um, can help give us the space we need to watch the arising and passing away or to face them while we work to understand them more deeply. And I, I've literally, and I've heard other people say that they actually catch themselves and actually say when they, maybe you're feeling something like envy or um, anger or fear. I see you Mara. And especially if it's a story Mara has, um, has uh, created and is pulling us in. I see you, Mara, can help separate and help us see this as a process and not identify with it. For most of us, our conditioning has shaped reactions in us when we uh, realize there's dukkha. This shouldn't be happening, or we take it personally, what did I do wrong? How can I fix this or blame? It's all the fault of X, fill in the blank. I like the way Ruth Ruth King uses, uh, she's another um, Buddhist practitioner and has written a lot on race. I like the way she uses the three characteristics to help her reframe her response to suffering. She reminds herself of the truth, not perfect, not permanent not personal. Then she asks herself, this is imagining she's already kind of entangled in it. Was I thinking this was perfect? Or was I thinking this was personal? Or was I thinking this was permanent? Often we suffer because we're clinging to a view of life that is exactly the opposite of the truth of the way it is. Remembering that suffering is a noble truth worthy of our time and attention is very important. The Buddha said we should investigate and deeply understand our experience of suffering. This is what Ajahn Chah must have done to emerge from his intense, afflictive emotions with such wisdom. And the Buddha gave us tools for investigating dukkha in the four foundations of mindfulness. We start in the body. Because in order to have deep understanding, we need to have an embodied understanding. Philip Moffat, one of the guiding teachers at Spirit Rock, in his book Dancing with Life, explains the three insights that are to be realized. And the first is to confirm for yourself that the experience is dukkha. We can use our knowledge of the range and kinds of dukkha that Lyndall talked about last week. The three categories, um, we can use those to help us identify dukkha, the ones we I just spoke about, the dukkha dukkha, the impermanence dukkha, and the sankhara dukkha. We can remember the common synonyms for dukkha, not just suffering, but unsatisfactory, stressful, unreliable, causing unease. With the second insight, uh, we we have to get out of our head and get a felt sense of the dukkha. Philip says we need to feel the ouch of it. And with the third insight, we integrate the dukkha into our life. We appropriately apply our understanding, and we know we know. Just as the Buddha faced Mara on the night of his enlightenment, touched the earth, and told Mara, that the earth was his witness and that he was worthy of awakening. That is an example of integration, might be a pretty high bar. But with the third insight comes freedom and the ultimate transformation of dukkha from a hindrance or painful experience to strength. And I think we've all seen that strength in people. And we have thought, boy, they have really integrated their... It might be their kindness, their their um, compassion, their uh, letting go of a lot of their ego. I notice when I notice this a lot is the way our teachers answer questions that they seem to be able to um, when they're conducting a retreat or when they're giving a talk and people ask questions afterwards. And I'll think, "Wow, that's really a hard one and know and it might be you know a little bit for me if it were asked of me, I might have felt defensive and i'll I'll notice how these teachers just seem to be able to stay in the moment and get in touch with their inner wisdom and connect with the need of the person asking the question and to me, that's an example of integrating. Uh, one's understanding of um, dukkha. So getting to know dukkha is a lifelong practice. We have a lot of conditioning pointing us away from dukkha toward the pleasant and a lot of conditioning pointing us toward getting rid of dukkha. The second foundation of mindfulness, which is mindfulness of feeling tones or Vedanas, is another place for investigating and learning that helps us transform dukkha into wisdom. We have to explore clinging, tanha, because it's the ultimate cause of suffering. And the second foundation uh, with our leaning towards pleasant away from unpleasant, is kind of the start of clinging. So it's really important to be mindful, and that helps us relate to our dukkha and transform it. When we meditate, uh, we can be aware of that leaning away and leaning towards, and that's, that's really natural, that leaning. It's a simple Preference. We all have preferences. It's kind of a low, st- low intensity stage of wanting. Um, in and of itself, doesn't usually cause a lot of suffering. But preference can develop into urgency. I have to have this. I can't stand that. They can escalate into longing, craving, and clinging. So. We can be aware of the wanting to get rid of and the wanting to hold on to as two sides of a coin. They're both forms of clinging. And we use mindfulness to gain that insight. We notice and identify the clinging. We get a felt sense of the clinging in our clinging in our body. This is what desire feels like. This is what aversion feels like. And this is what letting go feels like. We stay with it, watching its arising and passing away. Sometimes the clinging is released without us doing anything. Philip Moffat says, every time you interrupt clinging, you're creating little karmic seeds. Every time. You never know when the bucket will be full. Drop by drop, we go along our path, and one day the bucket is full. Some of the stories from the early Buddhist nuns talk about this, and I find it, um, helpful to remember that. Often our teachers tell us to do less, not do more. We really can't control a lot. And this is a story, um, from an early Buddhist nun. It's called, uh, Patikara Wandering Robe. And it's the first one that I read that, that, um, And it stuck with me over the years. Um, she says, farmers turn up the soil, plant seeds and wait all by itself. Water pours down from the sky and turns earth into food. After all these years sleeping on the ground, waking before dawn and begging for every meal, where's my harvest? late one evening i was washing my feet after another long day of sitting and walking the water poured over my feet and onto the ground i let my mind go and it flowed downhill with the water towards my little hut i went inside sat on the bed and lowered the wick of the lamp all by itself the flame went out Lyndall and Jerry both talked about the pain of the second arrow. The first arrow is the initial pain. The second arrow is our reaction to the pain that adds the pain. Our goal that adds to the pain. Our goal is to not add anything to the dukkha, but to get a felt sense of it and have space around it so that we can see it clearly for what it is. Then with the wisdom of insight, we can act if it is appropriate. This spaciousness requires insight of the third foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of mind, which includes thoughts and emotions. We have imaginations, and our minds create memories and concepts and views and opinions and stories, and our minds create the story of the self. The Buddha says the mind creates the world for us, and it's out of this world that the second arrow arises he says there's no making an end of suffering without reaching the end of the world, which I think means really understanding the delusional aspect of the world the mind creates. In the Vipalasa Sutta, the Buddha talked about four distortions of mind that we commonly fall prey to. And the Sutta begins, these four, O monks, are distortions of perception, distortions of thought, distortions of view and these are they sensing no change in the changing sensing pleasure in suffering sensing the unlovely as lovely assuming self where there is no self when we recuperate our right mind we change in what is change we see change in what is changing suffering where there is suffering non-self in what is without self we see the unlovely as such these distortions aren't personal perceptions are hardwired and part of our mind's purpose is to ensure the survival of the species it creates concepts which help organize and make sense of all the constantly flowing sense data coming in the mind abstracts shapes from the visual field and separates them from other shapes so that they seem separate and solid and that's why you know i say well i'm me i'm over here you're there you're you're over there you're different you're separate but that really is a distortion of the actual and it's based on the way our brain uh creates perception, and shapes, and so forth. So that's one of the areas I got really into and found very fascinating, but I'm not going to go further into it. Um, The ego is created as one of these separate forms, which we identify with, develop, and protect. We also have a lot of conditioning in our culture, which tells us which things are lovely and how lovely they are. We're bombarded with images of smiling, happy people, delighting in the next best thing, And we're conditioned to believe that things and accomplishments bring not just happiness, but lasting happiness. Mindfulness of the body, of the feeling tones, or Vedanas, mindfulness of mind, help us see through these distortions of perception and let go of the enchantment surrounding sensory pleasure, the enchantment surrounding the ego, becoming enough through its accomplishments and perfection, Seeing through the delusion helps us let go of the clinging, but we also need to get a sense of something else that offers a greater happiness. The noble path to freedom and cessation has three pillars. This is the eightfold path. And the three pillars are wisdom, sila or kindness and non-harming behavior toward ourselves and each other, and concentration. Meditation and mindfulness. Each time we return to the present moment with as much bare attention as we are able, connect with the heart and body and direct knowing of the moment as long as we are able, offer compassion and acceptance to our vulnerable, imperfect selves as best we are able, we're building a connection to what is underneath everything, which is mysterious, which connects us to everything, which is not samsara, and which can hold suffering. I'm going to close with this poem, The Second Music, which I've read before, but I'm gonna read it again. The Second Music by Annie Lightfoot. Now I understand that there are two melodies playing, one below the other, one easier to hear, the other lower, steady, perhaps more faithful for being less hurt, yet always present. When all other things seem lively and real, this one fades, yet the notes of it touch as gently as fingertips, as the sound of the names laid over each child at birth. I want to stay in that music without striving or cover. If the truth of our lives is what it is playing. The telling is so soft that this mortal time, this irrevocable change, becomes beautiful. I stop and stop again to hear the second music. I hear the children in the yard, a train, then birds. All this is in it and will be gone. I set my ear to it as I would to a heart.
1: So just take a moment to be with yourself before we go out to the social world.
0: Okay, so everybody's back. Coming in and not coming in, and they're, they're not here now, but maybe they'll come back. Yeah, Sean and Bruce, are you talking about? Yeah, they had, they keep losing the yep. connection.
2: They, so they, popped, I, they popped out when we were together. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and they were in the big group with me. I was talking to them, and then they left again, and they came back, and they froze again. So I, I'm going to mention it to Ken because. I don't know if it's our end or theirs, but, um, yeah, they were having, I think they're going to give up now because it's been like four or five times. I wanted
2: so, to share something that yeah. was really powerful in listening to some people in our group that made me realize the courage that's involved as we really face the dukkha in our lives, all three kinds. And that, um, there is the capacity in each of us to do that. And I was just reminded of the Buddha's statement that if I didn't believe you could do this, I wouldn't ask you to. And Mm -hmm. that there's that. And then there's the faith of the Sangha as we listen to each other. That People are sometimes facing some pretty amazing things. And just that I like bow to the courage of everybody all of us as we face, face that. So I just wanted to offer that.
0: Thank you. Glad you did.
1: Very much. Yes. Um, Claire, did you want to share? Okay. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say that it's just so tender the subject it's just it's so tender and if it, it um you know the concept of enjoying somebody else's joy mm-hmm. I can't remember the word for that but um mudita yeah and so then there must also be sharing someone else's sorrow so some yeah like witnessing someone else's dukkha I don't know it's just
0: yeah I think tenderness that that's what I notice when I when I'm really suffering I would agree with you that tenderness and comes up and it connects me you know at a very deep level and and the tenderness is a heart feeling which isn't it's a connection feeling so there's a joy in that. I, well, joy seems like not the right word, but, but tenderness. Yeah. 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 Thank you. I think both of you I just say this I was thinking of the noble hateful the noble truths I I sometimes I just skip over that word noble but both of the things you share Claire and Sue's that's the nobility it is noble and um so I, an attitude of honoring is um I, I'm sensing that is an adi- there's an attitude of honoring suffering. Anybody else want to share?
1: Lyndall? Um I just wanted to say
0: that I and others in our group, we really appreciated the way that you linked this to the four foundations of mindfulness. Um because it's sort of, it's so practical. I mean, you know, in in terms of how we work with dukkha, it sort of reminded me that when we're working with the four foundations, we're really noticing on all, all those levels, you know, noticing the dukkha that we have in our bodies and noticing the dukkha that we have, just dealing with the changes and, Pleasant and unpleasant and then all of that stuff from everything that happens in our minds. So it was a really nice um, framework, I felt like. Really practical advice on how to practice with it on the cushion and everywhere. So thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. For... Appreciate that.
3: Yeah, we talked about in, in my group about how to work with dukkha. And I think we all had an experience of, of being, um, through this practice, better to kind of get the sense that dukkha is present and, and then bring, bring some space to it and, and start investigating What's one of the causes in the dukkha? How is it making me feel and behave or, or stuff like that? And really that that, mm-hmm. um, that call to stop and, and find the space is, is increasing with this practice. And so um, it was really interesting to hear, you know, how, you know, different situations c- can be approached in that way. So yeah, really enjoyed your, your talk, Lorraine. And I think the, the, your richness around unfolding dukkha was really, I think, inspired yeah. us to, to, to get deep into, to those aspects. So thanks a lot.
0: Thank you, Thomas. Yeah, it's it's really um, you know I don't think it's uh, uh what is it uh, it isn't um, coincidental that we've got these four foundations of mindfulness and these four noble truths you know they they really are so so um, rich with opportunity. And, you know, if if you just stuck with those four, those eight, I guess, four and four, you couldn't go wrong, I guess. And we've got so many books and things, you know, so many, so much information about how to, to work with it. So that's really, it's amazing that Buddha, what he realized, isn't it? and offered to us. Thank goodness. (laughs) Well, thank you everyone for your um, coming together today. Um, I'm sure we all are richer from our um, practice and um, may the merit and benefit that comes from doing uh, the practices with the Dharma, facing dukkha, learning from dukkha be shared with all beings everywhere.